I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Cutter. We're back again for season 10 of The, the Cutter and Smith Show. not be sanctioning specific seasons from here forward. We will be talking about whatever we want to at the time. When it's spooky season, it will be. When it's holiday season, it will be. If you want to be interviewed, send us a request. And sometimes we'll just talk about stuff in our lives. There will be no schedule or structure to what we do moving forward. So here we go again. It is Forever Season 10. We will be... Right back! The king and queen have decided that it's high time for their son, Prince Dylan, to find a wife. They task the court jester with finding a suitable bride, but what he unleashes is a never-ending line of young women with serious flaws. Finally, one stormy night, a young woman knocks on the castle door seeking shelter. Is she the match he is seeking? His mother's ridiculous test of worthiness involving a pea and some magical help from the local wizard will reveal the answer. Running from March 8th to the 24th, this adaptation of a classic story by Hans Christian Andersen features music and lyrics by Connor and Smith and is directed by Laura Connors Hull, Lenny Mendez, and Matt Connor. Tickets are $18 for students and $20 for adults. Family four packs are available for $65 if you use the code 4PK. Group rates begin at 10 plus tickets. Call the box office for information. Performances run on Fridays at 7.30, Saturdays at 2 and 7.30, and Sundays at 2 and 4. Call 703-436-9948 for tickets or simply visit www.creativeculture.org for more details. In 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against a world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. We are back in the Milius Mania little mini arc of our uh, season 10. And let us tell you of the days of high adventure. We speak today of the film Conan Bar the Barbarian from 1982. Um, spoiler alert. Not a lot of women's voices in this, except for one badass kick-ass Sandal Bergman as Valeria. That's it. That's it. That's basically it. Um, and yeah, there's a camel punched. We don't like that either. A um, lot of machismo. But if you saw this film in your formative years in the 80s um, and you... I don't know. I did. Ryan did. It spoke to us. My brother rented it from the video store Video Magic and... Um, I was hooked from that phrase, and the score kicks in, and I was on board the, the rest of the time. And there were, 
aside for a giant snake and a man that turns into a snake, I guess that's kind of monsters. I was into monsters and stuff, but I was like, no, these people are monsters. Now, did you play D&D when you were growing up? I sure did. You did. See, for me, I wasn't able to play D&D. Uh, My brother I, did, so I was grandfathered in. Gotcha. So, like, fantasy films to me in the 80s were my D&D, sure. if that makes sense. It does. It was my escape and my... I just loved it for some reason. I, I, I can't really explain it other than the high adventure, the, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, these adventure films that really just spoke to me. And not in a... I'm not, as a child, you know, 7 to 10 years old dissecting the politics of any film i'm watching it for pure enjoyment sake now is that going to indoctrinate me into feeling a certain way about something i don't think so to me it was always these high adventure stories i mean it goes into science fiction as well i mean just growing up and wanting to have these adventures because you play you go outside and you do all those things Uh, are there uh, archetypes that maybe uh that were definitely uh, painted towards a certain uh, a- uh, aspect of society. Absolutely, whoever was in power. Um, I didn't see that as a kid. To right. me, it was just you it, were living in that world that was already created by those I, people. Right, and I loved Red Sonia. Like Red Sonia is a horrible movie, but I didn't care if it was a male or a female. Whoever it was that was the hero that taking was going, the adventure. that was taking the adventure. That's all that mattered to me. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of the two films, I've probably seen this one a lesser amount of times than The Destroyer. Well, The Destroyer was definitely the entryway for me as well, because The Destroyer was not rated R. Right. So we were able to see it. And then, of course, you wanted to go see Conan the Barbarian, or or rent Conan the Barbarian. Uh, I started reading the Robert E. Howard uh I guess you'd call them articles or pieces and weird tales from the 30s, but they were like compiled into like a, a volume uh, of of books. Um, so I even did that. Like I really got into just the the lore and the the mythology of it all, and um, which to me, when I would hear about Dungeons and Dragons from people at school, because we went to church and stuff, so I wasn't allowed to do that. That is what. It gave me the same thing of them playing D and D. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, putting myself in, and it wasn't necessarily even the hero's shoes. You know, uh, in Red Sonia, I, all I wanted to be was uh, Ernie Reyes Jr. because he was. You remember he was the prince that was. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, I don't know. There's just there's just something about when I go and hike the Billy Goat Trail to this day, I'm thinking about Conan the Barbarian. I feel like I'm yeah. like on this like journey. It's weird. Um, You've said as much before when you come back. And yeah, exactly. And so, like, for me, I understand that people can dissect this into this Reagan political uh, macho thing with Milius. And, uh, you know, I could. We are not in America. We are in Aqualonia, y'all. <laughs> exactly. Come on. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a made up place. It's a made up place. And I think, I don't, I don't think what people realize is that I feel like Milius and Howard had some kind of same. I don't know. Simpatico. Simpatico in some way, coming from different generations. But Robert E. Howard specifically made these uh, this character 
and this world because he didn't want to do the research on the actual historical aspect of everything. So he created this world that was kind of historical, but not in any way whatsoever. He didn't need a dramaturg that way. He yeah. could just make it all up. Yeah, and then he would use names that were similar to names that we knew. And then Milius, I think, understood that and was able to apply... Howard's other work, specifically called The King, which came prior to Conan, who was an Atlantean, and the Sumerians, who Conan is, was uh, d derived from the Atlanteans. Uh, so he took some of the, the, the aspects of each of those things, melded them into this uh, adventure story, and then put his own fascination with Genghis Khan. In it. So there's two things I want to bring up about that. So we know from watching the documentary that Milius wants, has always wanted to do a Genghis Khan film. So you know that uh, quote, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentations of their women? That's a paraphrasing of Genghis Khan. I'm not surprised. Right, yeah. So he's bringing his <clears throat> own you know, historical thing, but it's not historical in any way. Somebody else says it. Um, and also Subatai, who is played by uh, Jerry Lopez, who's the surfer from, he played himself in Big Wednesday that Millie's directed prior to this. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Lopez's uh, character, Subatai, is actually the main general of Genghis Khan. So this character doesn't actually exist within Robert E. Howard's world. This exists in Milius's world. So he's bringing his own fake historical aspect to the same thing that Howard did. You know what I mean? So I think it's a really interesting melding of these minds i think also i just recently in addition to us covering the milius documentary i watched the three-part arnold documentary on netflix and you know dino de laurentis who we talked about on the inaugural episode um the famous italian producer that um had a gigantic desk and everything he did not want Schwarzenegger, and and uh, Milius was going to have him no matter what. And then, of course, he comes on set and sees Arnold in his regalia, standing at the top of the steps of power, and runs up and says, "Oh, Arnold, you are Conan." I don't. This movie is not this movie without Arnold. It it not only starts. I mean, even though yeah, he'd been in Pumping Iron and whatever that other film, uh, Stay uh -oh. Hungry. Oh, Stay Hungry. And yeah, yeah. Hercules, Hercules in New, New York. York. Yeah. yeah, let us not forget that jump. Yeah, so Pumping Iron Iron, and uh, and this film have some similarities. I don't know if it was Stay Hungry or Pumping Iron, where at the Golden Globes, Arnold Schwarzenegger won uh, Best Newcomer. Yeah. So for this film, Conan the Barbarian, Sandra Bergman got Best Newcomer at the Golden Globes. It's just an interesting... Uh, Which she was not a newcomer. I mean, I guess it was her second film. Well, but... and it was her first lead, really. Right, she was just in the chorus, featured chorus of uh, All That Jazz. Which is also a funny story, because he was recommended by somebody who'd went and seen All That Jazz. Or was it Milius that went and saw All That Jazz? I don't, I don't know. know. I can't remember. Somewhere in there, but yeah, but, how, how she got the job. But uh, Arnold's performance, so I, I believe it was early in the shoot or in discussions where Milius said, I want to talk to you about like how you approach your character. And, how, and Arnold was like, no, John, just tell me how you want me to do it, and I'll do it that way. And Milius is like, got a big grin on his face. He's like, very good. And then um, uh, James, Earl Jones. James Earl Jones overheard this and was like, can you do that with me too? That would be great. Probably <laughs> thinking, 
I don't have to really overthink this. I should just trust, if he's trusting the guy's vision, he's going to be the vision. I need to be the same. Right. So this beautiful simpatico between um, James Earl Jones and Arnold Schwarzenegger begins where I, I lo- this makes me love them both so much more. James Earl Jones has got to be a great guy. Not only is he like a brilliant Shakespearean actor who could have looked down his nose at this bodybuilder who's in a costume, he instead saw in him the potential of greatness in this industry. I mean, he started the insane action hero physique that continued. And so James Earl Jones says, I'd really like you to train me physically, you know, so I look and feel a little more powerful in this role. And in exchange, I would gladly coach you on English in your lines. And they agreed and they had a beautiful like symbiotic relationship which well, yeah it's interesting because uh, 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 Jones did or James Earl Jones did uh, was it The Great White Hope yeah uh, and you know see who is already this big guy and yeah. then and, and you I mentioned up you know George Lucas had to have said to Milius and hooked them up in some way because he had just done the voice for Darth Vader for Darth Vader yeah. there, there had to be something there and trusted Lucas enough to be like oh yeah of course um, and also, you know, with Arnold having to lose, what, what was it, 30 pounds of muscle because he needed to be more athletic and all that stuff. His sword play was not working because his biceps were not allowing him to swing the sword as effectively. So yeah. he had to slow um, down. And the uh, stunt coordinator and trainer of the people were uh, was Kiyoshi Yamazaki. So he's the guy that's training them in that one training montage where he mm-hmm. kicks the guy yeah. at the end of the scene. Uh, that's him. Uh, he made them do practice before they shot 14 to 15 times the the movements with the swords before they even actually shot. So they learned it, then they did it 15 times prior to doing it. So you know, so that it was really in their muscle memory to and be able. Some to Some of it. that training footage is on the Arnold um, documentary that's on Netflix. It it was just a great. But this is a funny thing. When Arnold talks about Milius, he, he, we imagine, I mean, we know Arnold's a Republican, but he's not a Republican like that. He actually worked with Democrats more than probably most Republicans. And he was from a very liberal Hollywood. I know he's had some missteps in the past saying something like girly boy or something that got him a big backlash. But he, Well, I mean, the stuff that's in Pumping Iron when he goes to Brazil, that's all very, yeah. like, what now? Yeah. Yeah. Different time. And he he even said of Milius, he was like, oh, he's he's a crazy motherfucker. And he was like, oh, no, he's he's insane. And he would take his gun to studio meetings and set it on the table and let them know it was armed. And yeah. like, that's how he got his way with I what do, he wanted. I, 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 you know, and maybe I'm wrong, but I really look at like Milius is like Rowdy Roddy Piper. It's like a character. Like it's the Shmay. It's the Shmay of it all. It's the bullshit. He created this persona because he wasn't getting the jobs. He was writing for his friends, you know, doing this these doctoring works, sometimes getting credit, sometimes not getting credit. Like, he, he's directed films. Big Wednesday just fucking tanks. So he's got to do something. He's, he's constantly building this persona. So I only learned this from the Eye of the Duck podcast that you uh, listened to. So it's not my story. I learned it from the documentary with Arnold. Okay. No, what I was going to say, what I was going to say was I learned this from the Eye of the Duck was George Lucas. So speaking of Milius as a Rankin tour. So 
you know, the whole controversy with some fans about who shot first, Han or Greedo. Right, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the McClunky thing where they added that on. Do you remember that whole yep. thing? Um, so George Lucas, when he was on the set of uh, the fourth Indiana Jones, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, he wore a shirt that said Han shot first. Well, he's the motherfucker that changed all of it. All of those times that he changed to who shot, he's wearing a shirt that says Han shot first on the set of this other movie. So that's that to me is a ranking tour. And, uh, you know, that's what Milius is doing in, in my... And I may be completely blinded by it right. all. Um, but, well, yeah. And in, in the end, it doesn't matter. For those of you who just went, did they say the Shmay? What does that mean? So in the Arnold documentary, he talks about the bluster of himself and, and about, like his braggadocious nature and his you know even when he was competing on stage he would like in bodybuilding he would like he's the he's the uh, villain of pumping iron oh he's the villain of bodybuilding yeah. and then he was like the super villain and won for like 10 years and was like i've done this enough i'm moving on he like, created the mr olympia yeah. right because he wanted to compete against only other mr universes and be better than them yeah yeah, yeah. like that's crazy however it's it, watching this documentary. It's just his drive, because if he did this, there's got to be another mountain to climb. I can say this, but what if I've beaten all the other people who've ever won this? Then I truly would have reached the top of Mount Olympus, mm -hmm. and then I have to find another mountain. And that's what he's done. It's like anyway, the Schmay, he would like he, the guy he finally beat out the um, for Mister Universe who had beaten him the year before, and he was devastated. It was his first competition, he thought he was going to win because his life had been so charmed that he was like, this is the natural next step. So he spent the year training, 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 training. He gets on stage with the guy who beat him, and uh, they're both turned around doing a back pose, and then I guess something happened with the lights. There was a mess up, and he looked to the other guy and said, oh, it's over, we're done. We should go backstage. And so the other guy leaves, and Arnold stays and keeps posing. <laughs> <laughs> and he said it's the shmay it's Dick just move. the bullshit yeah. he said but this he said i have this with stallone we love each other we hate each other it's the shmay it's the he said this is a german word that there's no real translation for other than bullshit and he said it's just the persona you conceive and he's saying this he's got a tank he's 75 years old and in this documentary in the last part he's in a tank on his property driving around smoking a cigar and again, he's like, it's just the Schmay. And I agree. And I think that, I don't think the Schwarzenegger that, okay, Schwarzenegger has this drive. I get that. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't really know what acting is. No. So James Earl Jones on this film helps him. Milius has been told by Schwarzenegger, hey, you tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. I think that Milius is as much of this character that Arnold Schwarzenegger plays it as it is Schwarzenegger like it's both of them together creating this thing and Milius recognizing the things within what Schwarzenegger had to deal with because this is a silent opera yeah you know this is really designed to be that way he Arnold has 26 lines yeah 26 lines like so everything that's done is is calculated and I don't think Schwarzenegger if he does not work with Milius just so happens James Earl Jones is in the movie as well. I don't think Schwarzenegger becomes as good as he becomes in acting. Now, people can 
you know, say that the line readings in this are horrible, that, you know, I've, I've heard all of that. I get it. I see it as a different time. I see it as a different place. I mean, this is the Hyborian age, which is what Robert E. Howard created. Um, and so there's a lot of things that, that Howard was thinking as far as this barbarian culture that is only, you know, living on nature. And they have this one specific uh, code of living, mm -hmm. right? which I think Milius understands and is able to guide Schwarzenegger in that way so that he gets this performance that's not only words, but the physicality of being able to use him in a different way, for him to lean down, for him to be able to learn these swords, to have the comedic thing where he does with his eyes that he uses later on. I don't think goes as far if Milius doesn't direct him in Conan the Barbarian. Um, but that's just my opinion. What do you think about that? No, I agree. I yeah. agree. Um, yeah, his career, this makes his career. Uh, the Destroyer, the sequel, is not Milius, and it is decidedly more, let's quote-unquote, air quote, comic book-like. Um, the special effects are kind of bad at times. Um, we have Wilt Chamberlain. We have Grace Jones. We have... Uh, Bob the Goon. Bob the Goon from Batman. I wish I knew his name off the top of my head. But at any rate, um, it's still a highly watchable film that's that's like another fun adventure with a lot of great lines in it. It does not hold up to this. This is the masterpiece. And as much times as I'll put on The Destroyer, it doesn't... Uh, sitting and having the pleasure of watching this film with Ryan is just like a... It's such an above par film. And I know it sounds a fantasy film. Yeah, a fantasy film. Yeah, it's not in competition with you know, Omadavar yeah. or something like that. Sure, but sure. It's, but it's an incredible film. I think. Well, let's talk about the like the some more stuff about the film. So Ron Cobb did the the production design, who did, had just coming off Alien. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And he was like saying. I don't, I don't want this to have the traditional architecture that we see in history, Roman, Greek, that kind of thing. He was like, I want us to do something that's a little bit different. And you get that feeling. It's almost like something, but it's not quite that, mm -hmm. which goes into the whole vision of Robert E. Howard. So Sandal Bergman gets cast, we discussed, from all that jazz. Uh, she gets the role of Valeria, which is the namesake of... Uh, Valeria in Red Nails, the book by uh, the novel of whatever I don't know, I'm not sure how to describe the stories. Yeah, yeah, short story. Uh, but she's more like in in character to Belette, who was the pirate queen and the queen of the Black Coast, which was the the woman that like Conan kind of stays with for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. um, so her character is more like that, where her name is just really the name in nothing from Red Nails is really like the Valeria in that. So him being able to com you know, combine those two, now maybe it has something to do with Oliver Stone. Maybe Oliver Stone had done this research and put it in there, but I don't think so. So just FYI, Oliver Stone had written a treatment first. Then Milius, and it was like... Post-apocalyptic. Humanoids, all this kind of stuff. And Milius was like, no, we're not doing this. Yeah, and like 10, he was supposed to lead an army against 10,000 mutants. Um, and Milius only decided, said he would do this, direct this, if he could rewrite it. Um, a couple of other things, like, so Thussel Doom, the character name, is actually from Cole the King, which is the previous character that Robert E. Howard had done. But it's really more like the character in Conan, 
uh, of Thoth Anon, uh, who is a Stygian sorcerer from the Phoenix and this on the sword. Uh, so it's really a character name from Cole the Conqueror, but it's actually in character from a Conan story. Um, so he's able to bring those two things together. I mean, Milius did uh, research, which I'm sure he put into Temple of Doom as well, because, so think about it, Doom, Temple of Doom, he was on writing for that, didn't get you know credit for it, and then this. So he was uh, doing research on uh, the Thuggies, which is what the 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 Thuggies, Thuggies uh, cult, which is a lot of what Temple of Doom is about. Uh, the Hashishi, I think is how you say it, cult as well. Um, but a lot of critics, not Milius himself, uh, thought that Jim Jones was a huge aspect of who Thussle Doom was. I didn't really, I, I can see it, but I don't really see it. Yeah, yeah, no. I think maybe because it was more in the zeitgeist at the time. One of our favorite lines that got a laugh from both of us was, we thought it was just another average snake cult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we thought it was just another snake cult. There's what? How many snake cults right. are there? Just What's another one of those snake cults. Which yeah. to me, in the mind of writing, is like you know those temple, those tents where they hold the snakes, right? But, <laughs> well, okay. So you had mentioned the crucifixion. So that's actually from a story, uh, from uh, one of the stories that Robert E. Howard wrote. Now, maybe Robert E. Howard had a Jesus aspect to it, but Milius probably was thinking more, uh, I think the, was it a witch shall be born was what the crucifixion was from. Uh, but it's really more from Prometheus when he's like uh, put to the mountain, attached, you know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Prometheus, and there's somebody else that was... Uh, Sorry. He's checking his notes. Yeah. This oh, is serious. Oh. Odin, uh, Odin being nailed to Igridizzle. <laughs> Can you pronounce that? Igridizzle. I'm sure that's not it. <laughs> that's not it. But uh, Odin being nailed to that because Milius was very huge into uh, all of those mythologies. So that right. was his adding of something into it. And you had mentioned about the the dead vulture, in quotes. Yeah, he does attack a vulture that's attacking him, but that vulture is a trained live vulture. Then we cut to what Arnold says was a dead vulture that died under mysterious circumstances. Yes, but I had read this as well. So they took that dead vulture, and then they made it with dummy parts and like made it motorized so it could be used as a puppet so that when it comes down... But it was, it was made from a dead vulture. And so every time they did a take and Arnold had to bite into it, someone was quick to come and give him um, mouth rinse, antiseptic mouth rinse. <laughs> He's like, boy, anything for Hollywood. Exactly, right. Um, um, what I was going to say also is that there's a certain aspect of the world that Milius is creating that uh, correlates with Howard's. But the character of Conan is different. So Conan was born on a battlefield. Like his mom had him on a battlefield. He didn't lose his parents at a younger age. He was much more intelligent than what we get from this character in this movie. He was able to speak 
multiple languages. He was multilingual. He could pick it up really quickly. He was very, very smart. So he wasn't just this, you know, beast of a man. He was also smart and able to use kind of like a chess player when it actually came to physical things in the world. Um, so that was changed a little bit. And that's, that's the one thing I'll say that doesn't quite work if you're looking at it as an ad that adaptation from Robert E. Howard, but Milius and Schwarzenegger create something that is so close in feeling to it that it doesn't really matter in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, the transformation from young boy to adult. Yeah, the wheel of pain. Yeah. So like, it is so simple in showing how this little boy becomes this Hulk of a man because mm -hmm. he's pushing this wheel of pain for years upon years. It's some kind of mill, right? It's create, or is he just doing it because it it's has no punishment? Function. It has no function at yeah. all. It's not a mill, and that was I, I looked that up. The other fun thing about that is they had rigged something up and Arnold tried to push it. And the first time the piece behind, he pushed so hard, the piece behind him hit him, injured him. So then when they finally got round to, after he healed or whatever, got round to doing this again, they had to, to make it look believable, have like five or six members of the crew pushing the other way. And then oh, he was the pushing yeah, yeah. five or six people easily. But that's how he wasn't acting. He and was... it didn't even actually fit yeah. inside because it was so big. And Milius didn't want to use anything other than physical because he didn't feel like it would, you know. He used matte paintings, but not a lot of matte paintings. Like, this was filmed on location mm -hmm. in Spain. Um, so, yeah, no, just the snake. that, And also uh, James Earl Jones' transformation when he turns into the snake. So that's interesting because basically they're using like dummy snakes, fake body parts, live snakes, miniatures, and camera tricks. And it all winds up with this lap dissolve, which is basically two images overlapping. So you get these overlapping cuts into this thing that we get, and then you get this, him turning, his, his face goes out. And forms a snake. And forms a snake, and then becomes this... You know, huge snake, which, you know, is a miniature, you know, him going into this hole or whatever. But it gives you this, I don't know, this weird feeling of what's out there, what can, like, what can exist, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, really just strange. Because, besides the big snake, the first and the first Yeah, the temple, first snake, yeah. Which looks a lot faker than the, than the one that Thulsa Doom turns into, I think. Right. Um... Is the only other thing that you've seen that's like possibly magical? Possibly snakes just grew big in this this era. Um, when you see a man turn into a snake in this super realistic film, you're like, what, what is, is going on? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So some of the uh, things that you know, so we had discussed during the Millie's uh, documentary uh, episode that. He had went to, he didn't know what was going to happen. He had, he wanted to be in Vietnam. He had asthma, couldn't be, which this shoot was horrible for him because it was in the desert. Right. He had horrible times. Um, and then he went and watched this Kurosawa like marathon at a movie theater and became just completely and utterly in love with film and in love with Japanese culture. So he actually uses Kurosawa in this film as well as uh, Kobayashi 
which is the okay so the scene which is still i think it holds up when you know conan dies spoiler alert yeah uh conan dies and they're going to bring him back to life and but on the third day and we haven't talked about mako yet yeah Uh, and mako like is painting these things on him so that and the spirits are all from kobayashi's film kawaiden which is like a ghost story anthology from like 1964 kawaiden kaiden i'm not sure how you say it isn't that a video game in the 80s no it's different okay yeah um that's from that like like pulled directly from it the spirits going around them and everything uh, and then the end uh battle is seven samurai which is kurosawa so like he's really pulling all of that plus a little bit of lean i've not heard anybody talk about it i've i've not read in any book or anything that lean i know lean was one of milius's you know uh not idols but people that he uh tried to pay homage to especially in the wind and the lion which we'll watch um but with just the landscapes and everything that's filmed in this film, uh, it it just is so amazing. And then you add Basil Polidorus's classmate of Milius and Lucas uh, at USC, uh, Spielberg. Uh, his score is just... It's incredible. Incredible. And they used a new thing on this film with basil basil would come he would write something and then come on to the set and see some of the dailies and see what was going on and he would change the music depending on what was going uh what was happening he went we would yeah he wanted to use carmina barana but uh it was an excalibur or whatever uh, so he didn't use that so he created his own voices and and everything uh but man that music just it adds this it's that sense of adventure. Yeah. It's the same thing that Star Wars and John Williams music does. It's it, a gravitas. It, yeah, it elevates it to a certain point. Even the music of walking through the uh, the market. Mm-hmm. The music that's being played then is... it's. I don't want to say authentic because it's not real historical. It's not a real place. Yeah, right. right. But it, it feels it's that way. It's authentic to that world. It was created for that world. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it feels very much done with so much care by basil the 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 music matches everything so spot on perfectly um and the sentiments of everything and i think i think the fact that they were working so closely together milius and and polydorus who was a director in school which is weird i guess he has directed a couple of things but became more of a uh a wonderful probably out of necessity right uh, probably yeah um, but adding with Polydorus and the music and everything and uh, uh, Milius is uh, saying that he wanted to be a silent opera. So really the character of Conan that Milius has conceived is really uh, based off of Siegfried from uh, Wagner's uh, Ring Cycle. Okay. Like the third one. So listen to this. So Siegfried, forging of the sword in the beginning, Siegfried. Uh, witnessing his parents' death, Siegfried, and then growing up a slave, Siegfried, and then slaying a giant serpent slash dragon, Siegfried. So there's a lot of comparisons you can draw to that as well, which I don't know lots about Wagner's The Ring Cycle. I know that it's four pieces, uh, four different you know operas, uh, that are very rarely done together. I mean, could you imagine sitting there for that amount of time? But uh, we did it at the Kennedy Center uh, 
where they did it, you know, one week and the next week and then it kind of like, you know, made it go back it and forth. Festival. It was like kind of, kind of, I guess, yeah, a mini festival. Um, it was a happening for people who liked opera. I remember that. Yeah. But I mean, even the, the, the feeling that you were talking about the, the scroll basically in the beginning that Mako talks, that Mako says is from Robert E. Howard. So I don't know for me watching this film, this is top four films for me. Uh, I understand the dislike that some people have for it. I understand that you can draw a correlation with Reagan and the individualist of the time. However, I will say that if Reagan was voted to be president in 80, he would have taken office in January of 81. And this started filming a few months after. So I don't know. I don't, again, bringing up Milius and him not naming people within his, other than Teddy Roosevelt or Genghis Khan, I don't think his idea was, I'm going to mirror what Reagan is saying. He was and, too soon in Reagan's run. Absolutely. Or, I mean, I, of course he had campaigned and we knew who he was and he was governor of California, but I don't think, I, I don't think he'd been in office long yeah. enough to like say, this is a correlation between Ronald Reagan and Conan, and here we go. But a lot of people bring it up. A lot of people brought it up. A lot of critics brought it up at the time. This is a huge hit. It becomes a huge hit worldwide, mm-hmm. which is why Schwarzenegger becomes so huge afterwards. Um, Milius, you know, two years later does Red Dawn, which is an, another huge hit. But then again, uh, consider this conservative, you know, thing. Um, I don't know. If you're telling a story that in any way can make me feel for the characters and make me feel like, wow, this is a, a world that... I say that I want to be a part of, but I never would be because there's too much death. Kind yeah. of feeling. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, it's safer to just watch the movie. And <laughs> I don't always need. So I watched uh, Anatomy of a Fall today, which is nominated for uh, Best Picture for the Academy Awards. Uh, and the snoring you hear in the background is the snoring of the punks. Is the snoring of the punks? I think they just watched Anatomy of Fall. No, I'm just joking. I was not bored in any way. Uh, just the way that Anatomy of a Fall goes about talking about how things are taking out of context between these two people who are in a relationship with, and they have a, a child and then hearing recordings and then discussing the art that they've written because she's a writer and saying that this is this this goes to show that she's this person. I think it's very uh comparable to Conan the Barbarian and as far as talking about John Milius when it comes to Conan the Barbarian I don't think everybody is just black and white I think there are a lot of gray areas somebody will probably come and tell me at some point that John Milius is a horrible man who thinks that certain person should be president and that you know January 6th was you know the best thing in the world and I will completely stop you know having my affection for his work. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. Yes. And even just conversely to double on that in the final part of Arnold Schwarzenegger's documentary, which is called American because it goes athlete, actor, American part one, two, three, he does bring up and he's, you know, long since out of office at this point and not without controversy himself, we will acknowledge, but, um, he brings up, Republican Party and what 
he used to be a part of and what he doesn't recognize now as the same thing and he said that he did also confirm what he thought of january 6 and how it was like the worst day for america ever um which i don't know if that i mean it was a bad day but there's a lot of bad things that happen in history on this soil i don't know if we can call that one the worst um it was bad yeah i mean i say that as a person who just watched killers of the flower moon so and and there's those things that are unspoken even right or even speaking about tulsa yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah. So things are more complicated than we as a culture necessarily have uh, come to understand at this point. Yeah. Um, and please do not think I was saying January 6th was bad. It was, <laughs> it was terrible. It was horrible. It was awful. And horrific. We all condemn it. I'm just saying that with, with Milius, I don't think it's that black and white. I don't think that you can really say that he was saying anything other than what he's been saying since the time immemorial of when he was in film. But that type of person was not to me uh, uh, a stranger. I grew up in that kind of, uh, those people surrounding me. Right. Uh, and they weren't bad people. Uh, I, I think it comes down to what we want as a society and who, how we want to be with our neighbors. Um, I don't think Conan the Barbarian is going to affect the politics of anything. Um, no. I think you either enjoy it or you don't. And that's what's great about art. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the most wonderful thing is that you can like something. I can respect it or not respect it. Whatever you want to do. But art is art. And to all my gays and girls out there. It's a beautiful body on display for the entire film. This is Arnold at his peak um, excellence, even smaller than his peak excellence. And it is, I'm, I know I sound like, you know, I'm just being, projecting sexuality onto an actor, which is wrong. I'm saying in the, the music of the, the perfect body in motion, he's his own special effect in this film. This is not CGI. This is a real human who sculpted his body like an artist sculpts clay. I mean, so anyway, and that's I think, just, just a side note. I think the performances are, are phenomenal. I think that, I think for the world that it's being created, you have to put yourself in, into that, that world to be able to appreciate it. And if you can't do that, that's fine. But Sandal Bergman, even some of her line readings, like I understand they're, they're maybe a little bit stunted in a way. And that has a lot to do with the language. But I think the language was purposeful to create a different time period. I never mind it. I nev- that never, it never happens for no, me. No, and a lot of people talk about that, and that's fine. But like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Thulsa Doom and them facing off at the very end of the film was not a racial thing to me. Right. And I can understand someone saying that, that, that it is. I get it. But to me... If the roles were reversed, it's 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 evil versus good, and Conan's even not that good. He's just a little bit better. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where the gray area comes in. Um, but I love it. I love the mountain of power. It, to see the amount of people that are being used and, and the sets that they build. The scene when they come in and they're fighting, uh, and they spill over the you know the, the orgy that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, the cauldron of hands and the music that's playing during that is it, it all adds up to this 
roaring visual and you know film is a is a, a visual art right so to me the silent opera idea is great i mean i love there will be blood because you know the first however many minutes is is silent like we're sitting there watching something we want those images to evoke something we don't need you know the the exposition of people telling us what's going on i don't need that i don't want that i want the visuals to tell me what's happening and i think this movie does that really well which is what film is about to me yeah i agree i agree um so i guess that is conan the barbarian um what do you think are we going to do american graffiti or the wind and the lion let's go back to milius wind and the lion okay wind and the lion sounds good that is what's next when we get to it. We hope you guys are uh, bundled up and warm. And I, I know it's like warmer than it usually is in January. But it was 78 the other day. I feel like it's coming back. Oh my God. It's coming back. 78? Do you think it's going to be really cold? Yeah. Oh. We're going to have a bad February. It's going to be a bad February. Yeah, my, my birthday is going to be like snowed in. Yeah. Not snowed in who lives in Russia right now. Is he still there? Yeah, I think so. I guess so. Which is weird. Right? Which is weird. So strange. Anyway. Um, anyway this has been fun, man. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, we will s- see you guys next episode, all right? I was just about to do a Michael Scott. Like, we'll catch you on the flippity flip. No, I'm not going to do that. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on social media under Connor and Smith. Again, that's Connor with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe, and comment on our episodes. Share it where you share things, post it where you post things. Really helps us out a lot. We especially want to thank all of our sustaining Patreon supporters. Without you, we could not do what we do. So thank you so much. That's all we have for today, so we'll see you next time. Bye!